Well, good morning. My name is Benton. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, grateful that you're with us this morning. Uh, Andy, our lead pastor, is out of town this morning, so I get the privilege of bringing the message today. And yeah, I look forward to most Sundays here, but I wanted to me- mention briefly, next Sunday is one of those Sundays I'm just, I'm really excited about. Uh, we are going to be hosting next week a guy named Dave Runyon. He's the, one of the authors of a book called The Art of Neighboring, uh, something we've been talking about broadly in the community. And he'll be bringing a message in the morning next week, as well as a seminar in the afternoon at two o'clock that's open to our whole community. And we would love to, to be part of starting uh, a movement in our community to love your neighbor. I feel like everything gets better in a community when people really look out for and love one another. So excited about that next week and hope you'll join us for that. As we dive in today, I want to ask you a question and maybe engage with me a little bit here as we start it off. And I have a question is, when you're writing a letter or an email, what tagline do you use? So if you're writing a letter or a signature, what, what signature line, letter and email, what signature line do you use at the end? Just shout out a few. Love. Love. What else? Thanks. What always? All right. Sincerely. Best regards. I heard blessings. What? Uh, anyone use a phrase or a, a quote of some sort at the end of their notes? No one's admitting this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a few that I use. Sincerely is one of them that I use in my uh, when I sign letters. Sometimes I'll write love if it's someone who I'm a family member or a good friend with. Uh, sometimes Andy will use uh, in Christian love. Uh, sometimes if I'm writing a ministry letter or something to the church, I'll use for His glory saying I'm writing for the glory of God. Uh, sometimes you might get an email from me that says, uh, sent from my iPhone, um, which really means brevity and errors aided and abetted by my beloved iPhone. My point is, the signature, that tagline at the end, often tells you something about the heart and content of the letter before it. And this morning we're diving into 1 Corinthians 16, which is, is the tagline. This is the, the end of 1 Corinthians. Now, I want to take a few minutes as we begin our message this morning and look back and remember, uh, but glance back at 1 Corinthians and where we've been. Uh, some of you have been around for this journey with us. Others of this, you, this might be our first Sunday here. But we've actually spent 20 Sundays as of this morning. We've spent 20 Sundays going through 16 chapters of this book. Uh, it's been quite the journey. I've learned a ton from it. Uh, I hope you have too if you've been with us. But I think it's worth, after a journey like this, pausing for a moment and remembering some of what we've talked about over the course of time. So we began in, in 1 Corinthians 1, talking about that uh, the message there was you've, you're more than what you've become. Uh, Andy showed a, uh, a clip from The Lion King, you may remember. But this idea of becoming who you are permeates through 1 Corinthians. Right? Paul's writing this, this letter to a first century church that was, uh, had a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. It was a church that was gifted, that had a ton of opportunities, that was financially well off, and that was full of sin and division. And what Paul's doing is encouraging them back to a simplicity of their faith in Jesus Christ. In a similar way, a few weeks later, we, we talked about that the gospel doesn't destroy worldly wisdom, but it does dethrone it. We talked there some about how God's wisdom and ways are different than the ways of the world in many cases. And that doesn't mean the wisdom of the world doesn't apply, that we don't listen to anything there. But it does mean that God's wisdom trumps that. 
And Paul writes there in the, in the opening chapters of Corinthians that the, the cross and the message of the cross is a stumbling block to some people. It's downright foolishness to other people. But it's to be the foundation of the church. It's to be the focus of our lives. And there's a lot of other things that compete for attention. There's a world around us that would want to, to complicate the simplicity of the gospel message. There's an enemy around us that would want to deceive us or lie to us. And Paul's saying, just let your focus be the cross. We shared some messages on tough love. And, uh, you know, one of the things when we take an approach like this of going chapter by chapter through the Bible, there's some things, there's some chapters you might rather skip. But we didn't. We taught through them. It, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so we've tried to be faithful to that and communicate both grace and truth. But we shared messages about leadership and leadership through, through service and through influence rather than status and position. We've shared messages about immorality and sexuality and marriage. We've shared messages about idolatry and about worship. And just trying to, to approach these topics with kindness, but also a faithfulness to what Paul teaches there in 1 Corinthians. Talked about desiring God's gift or gifts from God rather than fo- while focusing on the giver. Not but, but while focusing on the giver. And this idea that God has given all of us gifts and passions and abilities to do his work here on earth and also to work together and complement one another in building one another up as we go to be the church. And that while it's a good thing to seek out these gifts, that really our focus should be God himself, the giver of those gifts. Talk to them about love. First Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You'll hear this quoted at weddings quite often. But we talked about how this sort of love is maybe a little different than the kind of love that we experience here on earth most of the time. It's not that just warm, gushy feeling kind of love. But this is a commitment that we make. We talked about our mission statement of love God and love each other and prove it. Love God, love each other, get the message out. And last week I loved Annie hit 1 Corinthians 15 last week. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in, in this book and in the Bible uh, where, where Paul writes about the resurrection to come. I love the line Andy dropped last week. I've been thinking about it all week, that the gospel writes the obituary of death. The death has lost its sting. It's lost its victory. It's swallowed up in the victory of the gospel. So it's been a good journey. Throughout this, we've also been trying to keep this from getting too cerebral and just staying in our heads. But we've been trying to say, how does this play out in our actual lives? And sharing stories as we've gone about not just how someone came to know Jesus at first or how someone came to believe, but what difference is this actually making in people's lives along the way? So we've shared a number of these, what we call live it up stories. And this morning we thought it'd be good to end this sermon series with another story. So this is uh, Joel Salazar and sharing a little bit about what God's done in his life. Take a look. Hi, my name is Joel Salazar. Um, I've been a Christian for probably about eight years now. I guess I never had a time frame. I'm happily married to my wife, Jennifer, and um, have two young boys uh, that are 17 and 19. Um, we live here in Savannah, Ohio. We've been attending Accord Road Christian Church for about eight or nine years now. My mom raised four of us, and uh, my dad left before I was even born. And so absolutely having no discipline in my life whatsoever and no leadership in my, in my life, um, 
to fast forward, you know, between the ages of um, being in kindergarten and going through high school, I, I went to probably 13, 14 different schools growing up um, and, and seeing a lot of bad in my life. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and I don't think there was ever a day that my grandmother didn't pray for myself and my brothers and sisters and for my aunts and uncles. But she was probably the pillar in our family and, and person that that I believe um, was a blessing to have because she would petition to God daily for us. You know, coming out of college and um, getting married, um, I really didn't have a lot of boundaries growing up. Um, didn't really understand what um, discipline was. As I began to really come to a, a fork in the road in my life, I was in my mid-30s and uh, decided to really begin that search. Um, and as I began to, to really entrench myself in God's words, and especially the, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I became very aware that the accounts that they were giving on this man, first of all, allowed me to understand, did Christ really exist? And, and, and knowing, knowing that he really existed was a really big step for me. And I was humbled, uh, humbled to a point where um, I understood how, how bad, how sinful I was as a person, um, not only in my thoughts, my actions, and, and, and deeds that I had done in the past. And there was no way for me to get rid of any of that without his grace and his mercy. And when I came to that realization, um, I was absolutely um, terrified. Um, but I also knew that we, we serve a God of full of grace and mercy and who's sovereign. Where I, um, where I had clarity was being with a group of men that, that loved Christ, that, that challenged me and really questioned a lot of, a lot of my past. Not so much out of, out of, um, not so much to correct me, but to understand who I was as a person and were willing to take the time to, to know who I was. The one thing that, that would either make my day or break my day was I'm like the biggest Ohio State fan, right? And so if you had walked into my home and in my home office, you would see Ohio State memorabilia like everywhere, like flags and helmets and just all this Ohio State stuff. And I came to realize that that was my God. And there was an aha moment. I don't know if anyone specifically said to me, hey, you're doing this, but it really sat heavy with me that I was doing it. And so when it struck me that, that, that something that inconsequential could, could ruin my day, a game, right? That I, had, that I, couldn't, I couldn't create the outcome to that, but it could ruin my day. I thought to myself, that is wrong. That's just absolutely wrong. <laughs> it's not important. You know, it's, it's, it's not important. And, um, you know, it's, it no longer has a pull on me. If they win, great. You know, I get to razz a few people. But it doesn't make or break my day at all. And so because of that, I lead my life today to, to really live for him. And um, living in the world that we live in and all the, the, the things that distract us from, from, from God and, and what he expects from us to do is not easy as a man. But I will say that the journey that I've been on when I began searching for Christ and where I'm at today it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's, it's one that is filled with excitement. It's one that if we slow down and take the time to really listen to what God uh, has in store for us on a daily basis, um, we can do some tremendous things for this, for this world.
If my heart can be changed, I promise you, anybody's heart can be changed. Awesome. Well, Joel's here. Thanks for your vulnerability and for sharing your story with us. Appreciate that. Give you, Joel, hand. I encourage you, share these stories with one another, how God's at work in your life. This is encouragement that happens from that. Uh, I think God works in the midst of that. Well, we're at the end of this. This is the first uh, Corinthians chapter 16, the very end here. And there's a lot of little minor things of people's names and little things that I find interesting in here. But I, bro- I bored my Bible study with this on Thursday morning, my men's group, so I got it out of my system. So we'll keep this a little, maybe a little more interesting this morning. Uh, I want to hone in on the two verses in this chapter that I feel like are uh, communicate the heart. And they're kind of the exclamation point at the end of this, uh, this book. So verses 13 and 14, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And I want to just take this phrase by phrase and unpack this a little bit. What's Paul saying here? So be watchful. Namely, this is a be alert or be ready for the return of Jesus. See, Paul seemed to live with this anticipation that Jesus would actually return. That he he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, but that he would actually return. He lived with that sort of anticipation. Now, some of us, I think, some of us will think about uh, what might happen when we die or after we die. But a lot of times we don't think about the return of Jesus. And sometimes we might think about what we, what do we do in a week or a month or a year if we were to pass away? We'll create bucket lists, if you will, of experiences that we want to have before our time here on earth is done. But the interesting thing here about being watchful is not about looking for the end of life, period, but the end of life as we know it. It's not just what would we do if we died a week or a month or a year from now, but what would we do if we knew or believed that we would be with Jesus a week or a month or a year from now? How might that change or, or affect the way that we're living our lives? See, it's easy for us, I think, we're 2,000 years separated from these experiences. And it's easy for us to live with this as kind of a, a background thought. Right, we have TV and social media and uh, the internet, everything else around us to distract us from this. We have a, a world around us that wants to complicate the message and a, an enemy that wants to maybe help us to ignore it. But I'd suggest the people who have done some of the most good in the history of the world, and certainly the most for God in the history of the world, are people who have lived with this sense of anticipation of Jesus' return. And a hopefulness for it on a, on a day-by-day basis. Be watchful. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Uh, Andy talked about this some last week, so I'm not going to camp on it too much. But stand firm in the faith. And I think it's worth saying, what is the faith? When we throw around the word the gospel sometimes, what does that mean? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter before this, Paul kind of clarifies that. And he says it's basically the belief that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that when we believe, we can experience grace. That's it. And man, don't we like to complicate that? 
But he's saying, stand firm in the faith. Brings to mind uh, James 1. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Saying, stand firm in the simplicity of that message. What God has helped you to believe, hold to that, cling to that. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Now, by act like men, let me try to diffuse that a little bit. I, I think by with act like men, Paul is really just saying be courageous. At that time, act like men and be courageous would have been synonymous. Some Bible translations even translate this as be courageous. So, And I think what Paul's saying here is really be strong and courageous. Because that phrase would have carried some incredible meaning for people at that time. That phrase runs deep through Israel's history. Be strong and courageous. If you think back of Moses leading Israel out of, out of Egypt, one of the most significant moments in the history of Israel, as Moses comes to the end of his life and is getting ready to pass the baton of leadership over to Joshua, he communicates this to the, to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 31. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the people in the land where you're going. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So Moses communicates this to Israel. Then as he passes away and Joshua picks up the the baton and goes forward to lead Israel, God says this to Joshua in Joshua 1. Very similar words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Moses communicates to Israel. God communicates to Joshua And we get another, you think about the major characters of the Old Testament. You've got Moses, King David's another big player. Well, guess what David says to Solomon when he's getting ready to hand the baton of leadership over to Solomon? First Chronicles, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. It's been said before that courage is just faith that said its prayers. Or, sorry, courage is fear that says, says prayers. You know, and this, these seem like appropriate words for us, even for our church, right, in this season of life. Uh, you know, we are, this is our 52nd year here in the community. Uh, God has done some remarkable things over the course of the years. And Andy, as our senior pastor, has led the church faithfully for 34 years. Um, just done a remarkable job. And he has felt like this is the year that God is leading him toward retirement. And in that kind of a season, in that leadership transition, I, there's, while I can't imagine a healthier scenario you know, than someone with a long, successful tenure, there's still fears that can creep into us in this time. And how cool that God, in, in these significant transition moments, has said to his people over and over and over again, be strong and courageous. Take heart. You know, for us, the cool thing is, I mean, Andy's been a huge part of our growth, but really, hasn't it been God at work through Andy and his leadership? And we have a God who is sovereign, where our future is secure, and we're believing him for great things as we move ahead. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong and courageous, and to what end? Let all that you do be done in love. 
We talked about this a little bit a few moments ago, that talking, referencing 1 Corinthians 13, but, you know, this is a love that's not natural. It's a supernatural love. It's a love that we will only display to the degree that we've received it. It's a reflective love of, of God's nature in our life. But this is a love that is, is serving and self-sacrificial. This is a love that is, uh, that rejoices in truth, but communicates truth in ways that are gracious and humble. This is a love that's kind. It's a love that doesn't fail. This is a love that's intentional. Again, a decision that we make every day, even to love our enemies. If the calling is that high, that calling to love is paramount. And again, we can have all the gifts, all the wealth, all the passion, all the opportunities that we want. But if we don't have love grounding us, we've missed the point. Paul's saying love is the most important thing. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong and courageous. Let all that you do be done in love. Well, I want to share one more story with you as we wrap up this, this morning and, and this sermon series too. And I think it's a, a good story just to, to close on. Uh, earlier this year, I received a letter in the mail. It was a just normal letter, but it had big, bold, black and red light letters on it. It's the kind of letter that sticks out on the countertop. You can't really miss it. And so I open it up, and maybe you've received a letter like this yourself. You are hereby summoned to be available for the Lucas County Common Police Court as a trial juror. I just thought, oh man, <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's ever a good time to get one of these, but this seemed like not the best time to get one of these. So I was in Dallas at a conference a couple of weeks ago, a church leadership conference that was great, by the way. Uh, came back in on the weekend. I knew I was going to be here at church almost every night last week, but I called in on Sunday night, and sure enough, had to go in Monday morning. So I go in and, and, and spend uh, the first half of my day with a room full of, of new friends, uh, listening to morning talk shows and The Price is Right being blasted out of two TVs, uh, just wasting half of our days. The good news is we got out and then we didn't have to go back the next day. But uh, in the, it was funny, by the way, at the beginning of this, maybe some of you have seen this, the beginning they show a video, it's like 15 minutes long, that kind of orients you to the responsibility of being a, a trial juror. And this video ends with a thought, this may be one of the most fulfilling experiences of your life. But <laughs> I think not. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, the whole time I was there, there was this heaviness to the environment. And at the time, I just thought, well, there's just because there's a room full of grumpy people together, uh, me being one of them. But as I thought more about it, the more, the more I thought about it, the more I thought the heaviness of this environment, I think, comes in part because this is a place where people go with things that are not right. It's a place where people go with, with burdens, with crimes, with disagreements, but things that they have not been able to reconcile or resolve on their own. And so they've brought this here to the court. And there's a, there's a weight, there's a heaviness to that. I thought about for all of us, we'll all face an environment like that at some point. Right? All of us have done things in our right, life that are not right. As good as we try to be, as good as some of us are, we've done things that, that are not right. The Bible would say that we are unrighteous. And there will be a day when we face a God who is righteous who is pure and holy and set apart and just. And on that day, there's nothing we can do in our own strength to bring resolution and reconciliation with that God. How good is good enough when the standard is righteousness? 
But here's the gospel. Here's the good news that, that Paul's proclaiming here and that we're talking about this morning is that there's hope. I love in Romans 3, Paul spends the first couple chapters of Romans basically saying everyone is unrighteous. But this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It comes in Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This is not something you can earn. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. See, we are unrighteous, but Jesus is righteous. He is the righteous one. And in some way that I don't totally understand, there's a mystery to it. When we choose to place our faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness somehow becomes ours. It covers us. It seals us. And so we stand on that day before a God who is righteous and holy and pure and just. We can stand firm. We can stand with hope. The Bible says when we, when we receive Christ into our lives, when we believe in him, 2 Corinthians 5 says we're actually a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, that somehow newness is, is coming out of us, that we're transformed by this. And as we choose to believe, this is what gives us the ability to be watchful, not with some nervous anticipation, but to be watchful with joy, with an eagerness. It's what helps us to stand firm in the faith. It's what encourages us to be strong and courageous. It's what empowers us to love and to live out love. When you choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ, your foundation is firm. Your salvation is secure. When you cling to Christ, you will not be shaken. There's incredible hope. And this morning, for everyone who chooses to believe, this should be a a reason to rejoice. We're going to close our our service with a song. And as we do that, this is an opportunity for us to declare to one another, but also, also with one another, the goodness of God and what he's done for us. It's an opportunity for us to claim that our foundation is firm, that our salvation is secure, and that we will not be shaken. And as we sing, this is also an opportunity to pray. Uh, maybe they're on your own, but maybe you came in bearing some burden this morning. Or maybe God's been stirring something in your heart as we've been together today. Uh, I'll be up front. We'll have some folks on the sides that would love to pray with you if you brought in a burden this morning. But would you stand with me? Uh, let's pray together and then let's sing together as we end this series on 1 Corinthians. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are just beyond grateful. I think my feeble words, sometimes I feel I can't even describe um, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your righteousness, your justice. But we stand as people here placing our faith in you this morning, believing that you lived a perfect, sinless life that you died for our sins according to the scriptures, that you were buried and three days later you rose again and that while we were yet sinners, you died. But that through you, through believing in you, somehow you give us the right to be known as the the children of God, as your sons and daughters. And what incredible promise is that? So God, this morning, help us to, to believe with all our heart, to, to make right things that might not be, and to, to be willing to repent of things that you bring to mind. But, 
But God, first and foremost, help us to live in a way that is honoring to you. And we close this morning just by by rejoicing together in these truths that we've talked about this morning. Thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians and what it speaks into our lives. Help us to live it up. Ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.